This is a little hot today. And hopefully, I'm using the uh, the slides here, and it's not going to be too much. Um, had a good week. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, we have finally settled on an apartment, and so... I've seen enough apartments, and we're finally at that place where now it's in, you know this, it's in the negotiation stage, so hopefully, hopefully by the middle part of December, we will be in our, our new apartment. We're looking forward to that. It's been seven weeks in a, in a suitcase, and uh, I am frankly, some of you, yeah, you know what that's like, living in a suitcase. It is not fun, and I'll be sure glad to get out of that and, and back into our own personal home. Uh, thank you for your prayers. It, it's been a large learning curve for both Becca and I and riding the MTR, and so far we're, we're doing pretty good on that, but we sure appreciate your prayers and your kindness. Where you guys go over the top and your kindness and your goodness towards us. So we are very, very thankful for that. If you have a copy of the scriptures, we've already read here. And what I'm going to ask of you is this. This is kind of the dad in me coming out, and I'm not treating you like, like you're my kids. But sometimes when we have the, the, the apps on our phone... It's easy to, oh, a message comes up on there and we, we check the message. Could I say this? This is a time we come together to listen to what God has to say to us. We carve out of our busy weeks this one day, this time, this hour to spend around God's word. Would you guard that? Would you guard that with me? Would you join me in prayer as well as we go to the throne in asking God for his hand to move as we speak? Father, we thank you. Your word is truth. It has always been truth. And when you take the time to show us where it is that you are at work, when you take the time to show us what it is about you that you want us to see, it is incumbent upon us that we watch what you are doing, we join in what you're doing, we follow in obedience to what it is you're doing. You are seeking to reveal yourself and who you are. You are pursuing us to have a relationship with us. And so God, as we come around your word, I'm just a servant. And you said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Jesus, you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Father, I do not come in my own strength nor in my own power, but I ask God for the filling of your spirit so that your voice might be the voice that is heard this morning and that you might speak to the issues that you desire for us to hear today. All glory belongs to you and to you alone. And we pray this and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in, in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, it is interesting. Um, this is, you always want to set the context. This is the teacher coming out to me. You always want to set the context. As you are reading God's word, especially the book of Matthew, where does Matthew fall in the context of the other gospels? Matthew is written after Mark. If you want to look at which one of the gospels was written first, it's Mark. Mark is what we call the, the gospel according to CNN. I mean, it is just clip, 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 clip. He just goes at a, at a rapid pace. Matthew's gospel, however, is written after this. Probably after the time that the Jews were out of Jerusalem, in a, in a very difficult time. But Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. You, that's why you notice he uses tons of prophecy, especially as you read the birth narratives about, about Jesus when he was born. You find all kinds of prophecies because he's speaking to a Jewish people who would have understood that. But remember a few weeks ago, 
I talked about there are three distinct periods of Jesus' ministry in his three years. His first year is that year of preparation. That year of birth as well as his year of preparation. The second year is a year of popularity. Wildly popular. He's spending the general amount of his time in this area. He's up in the, in the northern part of that area of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's been spending his second year. And you can always watch what are the ways that you know, especially from the book of Matthew, where Jesus is at in his year of ministry. And what did I say? You follow the life of John the Baptist. In that year of preparation, when Jesus is baptized, that begins his year of preparation. When John the Baptist is put into prison, that begins the second year of Jesus' ministry, the year of popularity. Chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel isn't what we call a hinge chapter. Because Matthew chapter 13 ends with what? With John the Baptist being beheaded and Jesus being rejected in Nazareth. Chapter 14 starts the third year of Jesus' ministry. He's in this area of Capernaum. He's just been rejected by his own town. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And Jesus now, it says in Scripture, resolutely sets his mind and sets his heart on where? On Jerusalem. Because this third year, while he starts and he's still somewhat popular, it is a year where he will take his focus off of the crowds and put it more onto his disciples because he's going away. It is a year that will end with the cross. So we started out in, this, in the first sermon of this series at the very beginning of Jesus' year of popularity. We had last week where it was in the middle of that, and now we're at the start of this third year of ministry. Very important that you, that you remember where he is in that scripture. And as we read, in the, as, you, as you've already read, that, word, what that, that first word, immediately, always pay attention to words that are repeated. My, my, my master's degree was with an emphasis in Hebrew. In Hebrew, whenever you read the Old Testament and words are repeated, it's for a purpose. I'm going to kind of geek you out here for a second. But they're doing it for a purpose because there's something important that they want you to do, want you to catch. Remember, what is Matthew? Matthew is Jewish. He is following a very Jewish pattern. This word immediately shows up how many times in those, in those 11 verses? It shows up three times. It is, it is a marker. Every time you find that word immediately, that is a marker that something new is happening here in that portion of Scripture. And it says there that Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and get, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now last week, remember, if you remember, Jesus got into the boat first and then the disciples followed him. Why is he doing this? There is a very specific reason as to why he is seeking to, why he gets his disciples into the boat and he waits for them and dismiss, dismisses the crowd. Here's the reason. John, and here's another thing. As you study God's word, they have what's called a parallel. Parallel, uh, parallel Bible, a parallel Bible where you have all of the different uh, accounts in the Bible put next to each other. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke give the same account and they give different nuances, different details about it. But in John, it tells us why Jesus dismissed the God. What does it say? Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What's the backdrop of that? Mark mentioned it when he, when he read scripture this morning. What has just occurred? The 
feeding of the 5,000. When they see the feeding of the 5,000, you remember, whether their minds go back to their minds go back to Moses, their minds go back to the back to the Exodus. But in what way did they want to worship him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords as their Messiah? No, they wanted him to be king, but a king that would take care of Rome, a king that would, would, would remove Rome, and Jesus would have no part of that. Think about that. Could he have done that? Could he have pulled out the God card at that moment? He could have. But Jesus refuses. He refuses to do anything but what the Father desired. Boy, if we ever want to get a good example of what it means to be, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, here it is. Philippians 2, 6, 8 and 9, 6 to 8 says, Who being in the very nature of God, this is Jesus, the exact mirror image is what that Greek word means. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That first attribute of a follower, of a servant of the Lord God is what? Is humility. King of kings and Lord of lords is what we read in Revelation. We're going to sing the hallelujah chorus we're going to hear. And what do they say? King of kings and Lord of lords. He always has been. And yet he makes himself nothing. Taking the very nature of the servant. And when it says, and that's your second one, servanthood. So not only do you have humility, but you have servanthood. And being made in human likeness. Literally what it means they're being made in human likeness is becoming that which he never was. Being made in human likeness. Think about this. This blows my mind. Every circuit in my, my mind. I have a little granddaughter that was born just a few weeks before we came here, holding her in my hands, so innocent, so absolutely vulnerable. And God puts the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into the arms of a 13, 14, 15 years at best little girl. We're hardly willing to give our cars to a 15-year-old girl much less the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says here, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient to death, even death on the cross. So important. They wanted to make him king by force, but Jesus would not be king any other way than what God desired. Go back to the Old Testament for a moment. This isn't up here. Go back to the Old Testament for a moment. In the Old Testament, there's a king by the name of Saul, first king of Israel. Whenever God asked Saul to do something, he did it to a point. And God said, that's enough. And he brings in David. David's king. But what's happening to David? He's running for his life in the desert of En Gedi. For several years, he's king. And David has two opportunities. King Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And while he's relieving himself, David and his men are at the back of the cave. David has every opportunity to take Saul's life. He has been on the run for all these years. He's been anointed as king. And David didn't do it, did he? In fact, even when he cut the corner of the garment and showed Saul that he could have killed him, he was cut to the quick, cut to the heart with remorse. Why? Because he had touched the Lord's anointed. He, Saul, was still king. Then God gives him another opportunity. Saul is asleep. God had put the people asleep. And Abner and all the others are around Saul. And David's men come in there and they take the spear and they take the water jug away. They could have easily taken him. And yet they didn't. 
David would be king, but when would David be king? When God said. There's an excellent book. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. And it talks about David and it talks about Saul. That's a really good one to get. But will you be a king after Saul's heart? Or will you be a king after David's heart? Jesus was a king after God's heart. He would be king, but he would be king only after the cross. He would be king. And he, he dismisses the disciples, and then he goes up on a mountainside to pray. After he dismissed the disciples, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Why did he go up on the mountainside to pray? It's interesting. When Jesus, this is the reason, and there are several reasons why Jesus goes up on the mountainside to pray. Hang with me here, folks. When Jesus heard what had happened, what happened? This is Matthew 14, just a little bit before. What had just happened? John the Baptist had been beheaded. Who's John the Baptist to him? He's his cousin. Do you think Jesus may have been grieving at this point? Do you think he may have been grieving? When we lose someone that we love, do we grieve? We do, don't we? I think one of the things that Jesus is, is privately going away, he withdrew to a private place, to a solitary place, place to pray. Why else did Jesus pray? This is huge. Five times in the life of Jesus, you find him going away to pray. Five different times you find him going away to pray. At five critical junctures in Jesus' life, you find him praying going away for a specific time of prayer. The first one is when he's baptized. Right after baptism, he does what? He comes out of the water, and it says the Spirit sent him away into the, into the wilderness, where he did what? He prayed and he fasted for 40 days. After that time, then he begins his ministry. Critical juncture number one. Critical jun juncture number two, he prays all night for what? For whom it is that God will choose to be the next disciples. And he chooses the disciples. This is juncture number three. Number four is Garden of Gethsemane. Number five is the cross. The first words that come out of Jesus' mouth are what? Father, forgive them. And it's written in the predator, it's written in the, in the understanding he kept on saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what it is that they're doing. Five critical junctures. Critical junctures in our lives call for seasons of prayer. AIC, are we at a, are we at a critical juncture in the, in the life of our church? Just because Pastor Joel is here, it's, like, it's not like, Woo! all right, we're, we're done. We're, we're done with this, this is phase one of the transition of our, of our time here. Is this a critical season of prayer for us as, as, as a congregation? It absolutely is. Are there critical seasons in our lives, critical junctures in our lives when it calls for prayer? Are you sitting on a decision right now? Are you going to make that decision? Or are you going to ask God to give you the wisdom to make that decision? Are you making the decision to retire? Some of you are making the decision, your, your time is almost done here, and you'll be going back to the UK, back to Australia, back to the United States. What's next? What, what, what happens next? Maybe you're at a place in your marriage. 
You come in on Sunday morning, we put the nice clothes on, we put the happy Sunday face on, but in, in reality, there are things that are going on in our marriages and on in our lives. Are those critical junctures that call for prayer? Absolutely. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations. As your pastor, as your pastor, I call us as a congregation. We do nothing of great value without prayer. Here's the thing. As Jesus is praying, what's going on? What's going on with his disciples? When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. That is an interesting point. Jesus has sent his disciples out. John 16 says that the, John 6 says the strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough, and when they had rowed three and a half, three and a half miles, uh, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake, and he was about to pass them by. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second because there is something that, um, one of the things you're filling out here, there are times when God sees what it is that we're, we're working through. You ever been walking through a season in your life where you just... You're out there, you're toiling, and you're working, and you're just not seeing anything happen. One question you need to ask yourself is, are you doing that in your own strength, or are you doing it in God's strength? Because God sees what we're walking through. He's ever mindful of you, yet he will let us toil. He will let us toil at times until we realize, help. Why does it take us so long to ask God for help? I think it, it may, it's, it's not just an American thing. I think it's a worldwide thing. We, we, we think, I, I can do this myself. I had a son, one of my children. That was his famous motto. I can do this myself. And it usually ended up really poorly. How about you and I? Can we do a lot without the Holy Spirit's strength? I'm baiting you. We sure can. We sure can. We can do a lot without the Holy Spirit's help. But it will have no lasting value for eternity. Are you ministering and working in God's strength and power? Leadership. Those of you who are in community groups. Members of AIC. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, and therefore go. Jesus said, know the will of the God, that you be not drunk, which leads to excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Alliance International Church goes forward, we don't go forward in our own strength. Because if we do go forward in our own strength and in our own power, we will accomplish things. But it will be things that will have no lasting eternal value. We must be a church who is not only committed to prayer, but we must be a church that moves forward in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, humbling ourselves. Jesus saw them. I want to go back just uh, one, one scripture there. 
Jesus sees the disciples out on the lake. And, and, and this is Mark's gospel. And Mark says about the fourth watch night, that's between three in the morning and six o'clock in the morning. It says that he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass, what? He was about to pass them by, what's up with that? Doesn't he want to like walk out to the boat and then, hey guys, I'm here and would you, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get into the boat. No, he, it's like he's going to walk, what's up with that? Why is he doing that? Okay, here's where your detective work comes in. Here's why it's so important to remember. What is Matthew's intent? Matthew's intent as he writes the book of Matthew is that the Jewish people would realize that Jesus is God. Go back to the very start of Matthew when Jesus is doing miracles. Every single miracle points back to the Old Testament. He's wanting them to realize that what the Old Testament talked about is in Jesus. And now Jesus, he goes to pass them by. Why? Did the disciples realize who Jesus was? Again, I'm baiting you. He's just had the feeding of the 5,000. He's just had the feeding of the 5,000. And this comes on the heels of it. And it says later on that they didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000. Why? Because their hearts were hard. They just saw they just saw Jesus produce the, the bread and the fish. And it's like, okay, you, you fed the crowds and failed to realize who it was and what it was that Jesus had done. Jesus had done what only God could do. And they didn't get it. So now he comes walking to them on the lake. Why? This is where now you go back to the Old Testament because here it's interesting. I'm going to geek you out for one last time. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. When the Septuagint translates this verse, it says, And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to what? To pass in front of you. The very same word that when it says in Mark's Gospel that Jesus was about to pass them by, the very same word. And you look here, and what is it? God is passing before Moses. Remember, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my face and live. And he puts him in the cleft of the rock. Remember that? And then he walks by him proclaiming. He said, I will proclaim my name in your presence, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And it says in, in here, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. Oh. <clears throat> Sorry about this. When Jesus passes in front of his disciples, what, what is he seeking to show them? The reason he's passing by them is because he wants them to realize that he is God. And you know, there are times when we're doing things and things are going on in our lives because we can cluck our tongues at, at the disciples and say, oh man, what's wrong with them? Why are they so thick? Why, 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 why did he just give this? this? This isn't hard stuff. I mean, if God would have done this in front of me, I would have surely recognized who he was. Really. 
How about the time that God stepped into your life and he did something that only he could do? And at the end of it, say, Woo! Wow, we really worked this out. Boy, it's a good thing I got a good mind that we could figure this out. Or, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that the money came in for this. And it's a good thing that this came in. And we don't attribute it to whom? To God. There are times when God works in our lives and he works in amazing ways. And we fail to realize that he's there. Is God at work in your life right now? Get this. His word says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Right now, he is praying for you. He's praying for the concern of your heart. He's praying for your husband. He's praying for your kids. He's praying for your health concerns. He's praying for this nation. He's praying for this church. He is ever living to make intercession for us. He is before the Father doing these things. Is he at work? Are there times when we fail to realize? I know I do. And why does God do the things in our lives that he does? Because he wants us to see that he's God and that we're not. There are those times where we have to say to God, I, I have nothing. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do with this kid. You know, I, I, there's a part of me that would just like to wring his neck, but he's still my kid. I don't, I don't know what to do with my boss. I, I, I hate going to work because my boss is a terrible hun with pants on. It's just, I, I, I hate this. I don't know how we're going to use I hate not being able to pay the bills. I hate not knowing. And in the midst of those situations, is God at work seeking to reveal to us who he is? And the question is, will I be still enough, long enough, to know that he's God? Because Jesus comes out to them on the lake, and here's your next immediately. But he comes out to them on the lake, And when they see him, I love verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Yeah, you would too. I mean, where I came from in Minnesota, that was lakes country. They had lakes all over the place. They're all frozen now. I praise the Lord that he brought us here at this time of the year. Oh my goodness. But we never saw anybody walking on the lake. It just never happened, especially at night. And Jesus comes at night and he's walking on the water and he's about to pass them by. Maybe there was a lightning bolt and they see him walking by and they're terrified. Yes! Yes, they would. And so would we. And Jesus gives two commands. Huge. Huge commands. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Literally, take courage. Receive courage. I am. Don't be afraid, because that little word, it, it, it is I, goes back to the Old Testament when Moses says, Whom shall I say has sent me to Pharaoh? Tell them, I am has sent you. And Jesus says, take courage. Literally, it's a, it's a command. It's not a request. He stands in front of his disciples. He's still standing on the water. The waves are going out. The wind is shrieking behind them. And he says to them, take my courage. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what it is that's scaring you to death right now. But in the midst of that, Jesus stands and says, take courage. Receive my courage. He says, why? Because I am. 
I am is the one who is in your midst. God is the one who is in the midst of that situation. Look at what else he says in his, in his word. He says, take courage because I am. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. God is speaking to Joshua. Here, Joshua is standing on the cusp of entering into the promised land. Moses is dead. He's got this rabble of over six million people to lead into the promised land. And God stands before him and says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be fair terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Is that a promise? Every single one of the promises that God has made, he intends to keep. And when he says, take courage, receive my courage, take it, take it. He says, because I will be with you wherever you go. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Fear has a way of discouraging us, doesn't it? And when we go through things, there are times where we are just flat out discouraged. You ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. And it has a way of just driving us into the deepest depths of despair. And God says, don't be terrified, don't be discouraged. I'm with you. Wherever it is that you go. Wherever. The second thing that he says here is he says, do not be afraid. 46 times, 46 times, God Almighty goes to the effort of saying in the Old Testament alone, 46 times, he says, do not be afraid. Remember what I said about repetition in the Hebrew language? When something is repeated, it's repeated for emphasis. When God goes to the effort of repeating 46 times in the Old Testament alone, throughout over 700 years, do you think he means that one? See, what does it mean when he says, don't be afraid? It means don't be afraid. Because fear cripples, doesn't it? And as he stands before his disciples, he says, don't be afraid. And, and Peter, I love Peter. I have a son named Peter who is a lot like the, the Peter in the Bible, very impetuous. Look before you leap. Uh, Peter gets the bad rap, doesn't he? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Literally. Lord, tell me. What, do you, what is it? To, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Literally is what he's saying. Peter gets a bad rap. And, God sa- and Jesus says to him, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me, what do you want me to do? And Jesus says, come. Have you stood before God? Have you stopped long enough before God to say, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, in my company, Lord, with my marriage, or with my kids, Lord, with decisions I have for the future, Lord, with my finances or my lack of finances, Lord, with my health, what do you want me to do? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. We can be walking through times of great uncertainty. And can we still know the peace of God and the rest of God in those times? We absolutely can. We absolutely can, because God has promised that. And he says, come. And Peter gets the bad rap. Peter's the only one who gets out of the boat. And you know, to, to be a follower, I didn't, this isn't original with me, John Ortberg wrote a book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. 
Peter's the only one who gets out of the boat. Peter's the only one who takes Jesus at his word. He failed, didn't he? He failed, pastor. He went down, he looked at the wind and went. How many times do we fail? Peter's a good example. And he gets out of the boat. To follow God, to be a follower of God, AIC, to follow God where it is that he wants us to go. If you're falling asleep, this is a good time to stay, wake up. But if he is calling us, is it going to involve courage? It may be saying, you're standing on the water. I can't walk on the water. And yet Jesus calls him to come. And when Peter, st- he's the only one that's ever happened to. Can you imagine what that's like? He's a fisherman. He's lived in the lake. I mean, he smells like fish. And he puts his foot out of the boat. And for the first time ever, his foot doesn't sink through the water. And then he puts his second foot out of the boat. And it's like, oh, I'm standing on the water here. And you won't know what it is that God is wanting to do in your life until you're willing to get out of the boat and to follow where it is that he leads. But Peter, you know the story. He sees the wind and the waves, and what, what does he do? He begins to seek or begins to sink in the wave. Peter got down out of the boat, walked in the water, and came toward Jesus. And when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. You can be in the middle of God's will and still have those times where, God, I'm sinking here. And what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand. He must have been standing pretty close to, to Peter when this happened. Immediately, here's your third immediately. Jesus reaches out his hand and he caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why, why did you doubt? What are you walking through right now that God might be saying to you? Why, why do you doubt me? I'm still the God. I'm the God who walked on the water. I'm the God who fed 5,000. I'm the God who pursued you to have a relationship with you. You can trust me. You can trust me. You know, and I don't know where... I'm going to be done now here with the slides. So I, I don't know where, where you're at in your life. For some of you, you're walking through things right now. And this sermon, you're saying, that you, you, I had a guy in my church. Uh, one day he stopped me at the back door, kind of a big guy. And he, he looks at me and he kind of taps me like, you know, kind of does one of these on my shoulder. He said, you've been talking to my wife, right? I said, what? And I, I said, why are you talking about He kind of does this again. And, you know, he said, you've been talking to my wife. And I said, no, I've not been talking. You've been talking to my wife. You wouldn't have known, you wouldn't have talked about what you talked about this morning had you not been talking to my wife. And I said, dude, I wasn't talking to your wife. Obviously, God's been speaking to your heart. And for some of us, you're here this morning, and you're saying, that's me. God, you spoke to my heart this morning. Whenever God shows you what it is that he's doing, hear this. Whenever God shows you what it is that he is doing, that is always an invitation to join him in what it is that he's doing. Will that involve courage? And is obedience costly? It is. It is. So where is God calling you today? As we finish up this series, how is God saying to you, 
follow me. For some of you, it's in the area of obedience. You're involved in something um, that might be on the internet. It might be something financially. It might be something with your job that you know in your heart. God is not pleased. Listen. Somebody, my, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, said, God blesses that which brings him glory. And sometimes we look around and we say, why am I not seeing the blessing of God? Maybe it's because your life is not bringing glory to him. And for some of you today, being a follower involves obedience. There is something that's going on in your life that God would say, that doesn't honor me. And I need you to leave that at the cross and follow me. For some of us, we're at that place where we're just, we're paralyzed. We're paralyzed by fear. What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen in our future? What's going to happen? And we're just paralyzed. We're, we're numbed by, by fear. And for some of us today, the takeaway from this message is that I need to take what it is that is consuming me, that fear that is consuming me, and take it to Jesus and leave it there. And leave it there. Many years ago when I was in the Philippines, I was in the southern part of the Philippines, um, we went in at General Santos, I'm saying this because we have some Filipinos who understand, we were at, I was at General Santos City, and then we went up, up into the mountains with the Taboli people. Or when we were hiking, we brought all kinds of Bibles, and we had our, our backpacks were just full of Bibles and all this other stuff. The last thing we did before we got into the village, we had to walk across what I thought was just a little stream. It was a little stream with a lot of mud. And we sunk up this deep in mud and sort of, you know, get, you know, crawling out of the mud as we get into the village. We had, in the process of this whole journey, we had a guy who was leading us. The guy had polio. And he was leading us, and he was leaving us in the dust. And we got to a point where there was a rye on the road. We couldn't find this guy anymore. And it's like, okay, which way do we go? Well, we took the wrong path. And it was nighttime, and we got to the, we got to a ridge, and he said, Oh, we need to be over there. And so we went all through the dark, and finally we got to the village where we were going to be, and we had this pack on our back. I had blisters here, just, just soaked to the skin with sweat because of these books. And I took those books off, and nothing felt so good as to take those books off of my shoulder and lay them down. And for some of you today, nothing will feel so good as to take those burdens that Jesus said your shoulders were never meant to carry and to lay them at the foot of Christ. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was to pick up those books and put them back on my shoulder. You make the choice today when you leave here, will you leave those things at the foot of the cross? Or will you say, okay, God, they're yours, and then carry them back out of here? Is he big enough to carry those things? He absolutely is. For some of you today, Your journey begins by becoming a follower. You've come to church. You've heard messages. But you've never taken that initial step of following Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God's been speaking to you. He's got people around you. He's been pursuing you. And today he would be saying, I desire to have a relationship with you. What does that involve? It involves three things. It involves, first of all, admitting that I'm a sinner. 
Now I know for some of us here, I haven't been a murderer. I haven't been, you know, I haven't done this heinous crime. But God says in his word that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us. And apart from Christ, every one of us would spend a crisis eternity away from him. So the first thing we do is we admit that we need a savior, that we admit that we're a sinner. The second is that we admit that we need a savior. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring them to God. We admit, I can't get to heaven on my own. I need you, God. That's that second thing. And the third thing is we need to receive the gift. We need to receive it. When my in-laws were in Thailand. They worked in Thailand. We, it's kind of opposite now. We're in Hong Kong and they're back in the States. But when my in-laws were in Thailand, we were back in the United States. So they would send gifts to my, my kids. And we had a, oh, I don't know what you call it, a sideboard, a buffet in our, in our kitchen that the gifts would be sent about a month in advance. And they'd sit in a, in a it was like a brown paper bag wrapper. And every morning when my kids came to breakfast, they would see that gift sitting there on the buffet, waiting for them, because they knew when their birthday came, that gift was theirs. And on the morning of their birthday, they never once said to me, no, no, Dad, it's okay, I don't need that gift. On the morning of their birthday, when we set that gift on in front of them, they ripped it open. Because that's what you do with a gift, you receive it. And the greatest gift that God has ever given to us is the forgiveness of Christ and is a relationship with him and hope for eternity. For some of you, your journey begins today. God has been speaking to your heart. And if God has been speaking to you this morning, I want you to invite you to pray to receive Christ. You say, well, what do I have to do? You're not going to make me come up or... I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when we go to prayer, okay? And then I'm going to have a word of prayer with you. And then somebody's going to follow you up. Because when a baby is born, you don't put him in the nursery, don't put him in the crib and say, go! You take care of him. And as Alliance International Community Church, when someone comes to Christ, you want to make sure that they grow to be a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, thank you. I know we're late in time, but thank you, God, because... There were things that you wanted to say this morning that weren't on my notes. And so, Lord, I know that you are speaking. And God, for some of us, there are, there are issues of obedience that you are calling us to. And as we have heard your voice, I pray that we would walk in obedience, even as you walked in obedience before the Father. Lord, for some of us, we have things that, burdens that, we are caring that you would say, take courage. I am. But for some of us, that fear is absolutely crippling. And you've come today to take that burden. You say, cast all our anxieties upon you because you care. And Lord, for some of us, that's the action step we need to take today. If that's you, leave it at the cross. I don't know how it's going to work out for you. But I know that God's made a promise to you that he wouldn't leave you or wouldn't forsake you. Will you give that to him this morning? For some of you, you came today, you may be brought by a friend or you've been coming for a while, but you've never taken that step of, of beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never made that step of praying to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to do that simple thing that I ask. Nobody, no one's going to be looking around. 
So if you get your eyes open, if you just close your eyes for a minute, if you want to pray to receive Christ, I'd ask you to simply raise your hand. I want to pray with you to receive Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you that you extend forgiveness. Thank you that, God, you plant seeds. We pray and ask that, God, you would use what it is that we have heard today in our lives and you'd continue to speak this message throughout this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Would you join me in praying as our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.